It's another Tuesday. It's another phrase of the day with Simon Fraser. And my MacBook is broken, so I have no idea how to add all the audio effects. So just imagine there's some smooth jazz playing in the background as you listen to another episode of Phrase of the Day with Simon Fraser, which I just said. Happy Groundhog Day, everyone. God, I'm a good improviser. I want to do something different today. I've kind of been stymied by my lack of technology. Uh, But I I thought I would read you a story. A story that I wrote. Uh, It's about me. And I wrote it as my final project for a class in college. And I haven't really read it since. And this was during the pandemic. So I just kind of turned it in. So it could be terrible. I'm just going to read it. Because I I don't really have anything else to say this week. Uh, But before I read it. A quick word from our sponsors at Manscaped who are now paying me $50 a month to read out four one-minute ad reads. So if you don't want to hear it, just skip ahead a minute. But in the meantime, Manscaped! Valentine's Day is upon us, fellas. Make sure you're ready for wherever the night may take you. Our friends at Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, are here to tell you that you need to use the best tools for the job so you can be ready for anything on that special day. Two million men are already trusting Manscaped products to groom. Make sure you're one of them. God, your girl can't think of what to get you this year. Tell her to get the gift that's for you and for her. That's right, the best way to get started is with the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 full of the best products to keep you looking, smelling, and feeling nice. The Perfect Package 3.0 is led by Manscaped's revolutionary third-generation Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer, which has advanced skin-safe technology and features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And it's waterproof. Could it be better? You should get 20% off and free shipping with the code SWISSMILK at manscaped.com. Your bulls will thank you. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code SWISSMILK at manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com. Use code SWISSMILK. Happy Valentine's Day from Manscaped. Thank God that's over. I am I am selling out for a $50 product pre- placement thing that I could just go online and buy GameStop stock. St- GameStop stock. The GameStop stop stop. The GameStop stocked stopped all stops. I can't do any of those riddles. Okay, I want to read you a story today. Uh, it's a story I wrote, and it's called Sure Man. Uh, not not like Seashore Man, like Sure Man, like uh, like. Do you want to do this? Sure Man, but no comma. Sure Man. Okay, here we go. When I was 17, I went with my family to see Hamilton, dressed in a tweed blazer, a checkered tie, and dress shoes. The clothes had nothing to do with the musical. I had just sped through all six seasons of Gossip Girl in nine days, and so was feeling inspired by Chuck Bass's chic feather. Outside the men's room in the Richard Rogers Theatre, I was waiting for my brother when a nice middle-aged lady approached me and asked if I were an usher. To my knowledge, I wasn't, and so I don't know why I said this, but I said yes. May I help you? She asked where her seats were. I inspected her tickets and pointed her to the mezzanine level, turn right a few rows down. Suddenly a swath 
of nice middle-aged ladies were lining up in front of the men's room to ask me where they were sitting. I inspected each of their tickets and, completely unaware of where their actual seats were, directed them in all degrees of a compass. My brother came out of the men's room and I gave him the eyes that said, I've got myself into a situation, just leave me to it. For the next five minutes I was Broadway's greatest usher. More and more nice middle-aged ladies streamed my way. I started making small talk about the day's work with the popcorn vendor. I even added some zazz for those who I thought were lucky. You're going to go to the orchestra section. Turn right and walk all the way to the front. Good for you. You need to go to the balcony level. Turn left and walk all the way to the back. Make sure to use your binoculars. I'm only joshing. Enjoy the show. I thought I had found my life's calling until I saw the original nice middle-aged lady come out from the left balcony with a red-coated, black-bow-tied, indisputable usher. I was too far away from them to hear what they were saying, but the lady's pointing finger and subsequent scowl were enough to realize that my jig was up. I said to my patrons, that's my shift, and scampered away to my seat in the mezzanine next to my grandma. I like stories for four reasons. The first is they're fun. A story doesn't need to have meaning to be good. If you can leave your audience laughing or amazed, everybody wins. They're entertained, and you get to entertain. Sometimes that's all you want. Now, in order to get a good story, you have to be open to opportunities. I like to say sure to things. Not yes, but sure. Yes implies some kind of rabid enthusiasm for the activity at hand. I prefer sure, which is more of a, I'm not going to lose sleep if I say no, but let's see how this plays out vibe. Sometimes out loud I have to say yes. It would probably be a bit suspicious if someone asked if I were an usher, and I said sure. But deep down, I do mean sure. Maybe the opportunity turns out to be a dud, but maybe it turns out to be a great story. It was the end of freshman summer, and my college buddy Rick asked if I wanted to fly from New York to Sacramento so we could drive from Sacramento to New York. I said sure. I didn't have my license, so Rick did all the driving, and I also let him choose the music because my Spotify top song of 2017 was I'm Shipping Up to Boston, the theme song from The Departed. While we were on the I-90 in the middle of Wisconsin, Rick offered me a strip of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum. Gum doesn't sit well with my stomach. I claim it's a negative reaction between the gum's polymers and my stomach's lactic acid, but I have no idea if that's right, and I refuse to check. I knew I shouldn't have, but I took the strip, because if our car broke down and a beautiful Midwestern girl came to our aid, my breath couldn't be smelling of Jimmy John's and jerky. About five minutes in to masticating, I heard a rumble, and so did Rick. He asked me what it was, but I played it off as my lactic acid just doing its thing. He kept on driving. Two minutes later, my stomach royally rumbled. I asked if he could find a gas station. He asked if I could hold it. I said, I guess. Two more minutes later, my stomach wrestlemaniaed. Rick, I said, we need to find a gas station now. Rick took the next exit, and I was getting ready to use the exit gas station when there wasn't one. We drove on for another two miles, but there still was no gas station, nor any sign of one. I had only one hope left. I told Rick to pull over to the side of the main road. I climbed over the railing, pulled down my pants, and crapped my guts out on some unfortunate Wisconsin farmer's corn crops. 
It was a stream of shit unseen since the days after I watched The Departed. Passing motorists gasped at the 19-year-old yogi demonstrating an R-rated chair pose. Rick went off to find toilet paper, which took him an hour as I held the position of soiled scarecrow. His journey included him knocking on Wisconsin doors, explaining that his friend had chewed a strip of gum and subsequently shat himself on the highway, and no, his friend was not a horse. He returned, I wiped, we drove on, we never spoke about it, and whenever I'm offered gum, I still say sure. The second reason I like stories is that they make me interesting. They show I've had worldly experiences, and while some people might say I'm able to have some of these experiences only on account of my privilege, others might say I'm taking advantage of my privilege, when others in my position, definitely not my brother, would just go out clubbing. I, instead, shit on America's farms. Interesting and entertaining are one and the same for me. I measure them through what I call the dinner party test. If a stranger was seated next to you at a dinner party, after one and a half hours of conversation, would they want to keep talking to you? If yes, congratulations, you're interesting. If no, that's their fault. I haven't really thought through the second part yet. The truth is that even though my mum assures me you're brilliant just the way you are, darling, I fear that if I didn't have stories I wouldn't be interesting. There are good grounds to make this case. For example, I have terrible music taste. I try to enjoy the hipper artists, but whenever I listen to Frank Ocean, all I can think is, damn, I wish this were ABBA. I have to look up how to cook potatoes. When I was 14, I did work for a day at a Michelin-starred restaurant, the Ledbury, but I'm fairly certain they only let me because they thought I was from Make-A-Wish. I have no fashion sense besides looking good in a suit, but that's because it's a suit, and anyone who can't look good in a suit should get back to their spot in the 2003 NBA draft class. Stories allowed me to hide the embarrassment of a personality I might have. One night last May in Myrtle Beach, I was at a crowded rooftop bar. My friend Louie, bladder bursting and unable to find a bathroom, asked me if he could pee off the side of the roof. Why I was the authority on this matter, I didn't know, but I said sure. He relieved himself, and then we sipped our tequila sodas. Suddenly, a frazzled man emerged from the stairs, looking like Rick Moranis in Ghostbusters. What happened? I asked him. There was a huge fight downstairs, he explained. The bouncer versus everybody. Well, how did it start? I asked. Some idiot, he said, started pissing on the bouncer's head. Louis and I exchanged sheepish glances, though I wasn't quite sure why getting mystery pissed on from the heavens made the bouncer fight everyone who wasn't pissing on him, but I guess that's Myrtle Beach. The third reason I like stories is that they show my character when I'm unable to identify it in words. This might be confusing, so consider a banana. A banana's out there in a fruit bowl, going about its life. The banana itself couldn't tell you what it is, because one, it's a banana, and two, it can't look at itself, unless there's a super shiny strawberry in the fruit bowl with it. But it can show its slightly tanned skin and curvy but firm figure, and an observer can say, hey, that's a banana. Likewise, I can show my slightly tanned skin and curvy but firm figure along with a story, and an observer can say, hey, that's an odd-looking banana that is incredibly well-meaning but deeply flawed. 
Stories are my way of getting others to identify who I am when I'm unable to do so myself. One important thing I want to clarify sooner rather than later is that at dinner parties or elsewhere, I don't just tell stories about myself non-stop. That would be psychopathic. At the risk of sounding like a disguised alien trying to get by as a human, I also like casual conversation, learning about other people's lives, and discussing current affairs. I was 19 and with my girlfriend at the time, Mia. We were on a walk near Battery Park in New York City when a 16-year-old boy yelled out to a 25-year-old or so woman in front of us, Nice ass! She ignored him, but I looked at Mia and said, That was bad, right? She said yes, but we didn't say anything to him because we were eating cronuts. About 30 minutes later, we settled down on the lawn in Battery Park when we saw that same 16-year-old. Mia said, don't you think we should say something? I said we simply had to. We left our cronuts and marched across the green to confront him. Hey, Mia yelled, remember us? The guy turned around, looked at us and said, no. From earlier, she said. The guy was drawing blanks. You yelled out to a girl that she had a nice butt. We were behind her, I said plainly, realizing that Mia maybe didn't understand that if you see someone do something, they don't necessarily see you. Oh, yeah, that girl did have a nice ass. I never got this boy's name, but I'm willing to bet everything I own it was either AJ, JJ, or Mario Batali. You shouldn't say that, I said. Why not? It's a compliment. It was at that point I realized that, as a 19-year-old, I knew that catcalling was bad, but I didn't know why. If a random person on the street said that I had a nice ass, I would have a spring in my step for weeks. I paused and that was enough time for him to call his boys to the scene. It was like they were auditioning for Greece. Immediately, it was me, catcalling ignoramus but well-meaning, and Mia, feminist virtuoso but well-aggressive, face-to-face with 30 high school boys who shared only the first and fourth of those qualities. As Mia began to scream at them, I tried to play the mediator and said, Look guys, I get where you're coming from. But that only led to Mia also screaming at me. I tried the classic mediator trick of finding common ground with them, but they ignored my question of what pizza toppings they liked, and one of them instead pointed at my left hand, which was slightly trembling, and said, This guy's nervous! Soon they were all on my case, making outrageous claims like, This midget's got the shakes! For clarity, I am 5'9", and the guy who accused me was, at best, 5'11". I tried unsuccessfully to tell them that it was just an iron deficiency, but it turns out once a group of 30 high schoolers decides you're nervous, there's no coming back, even if you have a doctor's note. Mia and I trudged back to our cronuts, and we broke up soon after, when I told her I was flying to Sacramento so I could drive to New York. The fourth and final reason I like stories is in the pursuit of the story itself. You never know what's going to happen when you say sure. A story can be a dud, like when my friend Jonah bet me I couldn't run the rock and roll Nashville marathon, so I trained for two months, but then it got cancelled due to coronavirus. Or a story can be charming, like when during sophomore summer, I booked a two-night stay in an Airbnb in Birmingham, Alabama, expecting to be alone, only to find out I was taking the guest room of a house belonging to a mum and her two boys. The first morning, I woke up to discover six-year-old six Kadarius alone on the couch playing Fortnite. 
Shanine had gone out to drive for Uber, and presumably this was standard practice, but I felt bad leaving him, and so when he asked, do you want to play Fortnite with me? I abandoned my Birmingham plans and spent the whole day getting sniped in Junk Junction. Now we all share a Netflix account. A story can be scary, like when I was in Oregon and my friend Luke offered me mushrooms. I said sure, took way too many for my first time, and spent the next two hours naked, alone in a forest, losing my mind. Or a story can be thrilling, like when I negotiated cigar prices in Havana as a 16-year-old 5-foot 5 with a 7-foot man who pulled an AK-47 on me and suggested I stick to the original price. I said sure. A story can be ridiculous, like when I went for a midtown lunch with a partner of the firm I was interning at, and he asked me if I wanted to bring an umbrella. I wasn't an umbrella guy, but I said sure. We got to the restaurant, my umbrella wouldn't close, there was no space to put it, so I held it over our heads. Or a story can be downright bizarre, like when I watched the Darjeeling Limited and was inspired to go to northern India to stay in monasteries for a month. But the monks didn't have any leftovers, so I had to survive on the 20 cliff bars I had brought until I met a taxi driver named Niamong who didn't speak any English but fed me and took me to the Dalai Lama. These stories are obviously Carol Baskin-level killer when it comes to the dinner party test. But beyond that, they also give me even more inspiration to keep saying sure. From these sagas have come truly unexpected benefits that have actually made my life interesting. Learning things from basic Ladakhi, Jule means hello, thank you, goodbye, and pretty much anything you want it to mean, to how to canoe across Scotland, to what to do when a gun is pointed at your face, to how to pitch a show unsuccessfully to the head of Netflix, to how to survive in Las Vegas with only $3, to, most importantly, knowing why catcalling is bad. Sane Shaw brings with it more skills and knowledge than any other action can, besides signing up for those masterclass videos. In June of freshman summer, before I had cowed to a pack of teenage ruffians with Mayo Clinic-approved iron levels, and before I had given new meaning to the term Wrigley Field, I was the sole intern at a strategic intelligence firm. I earned the gig the old-fashioned way. Years of hard work, countless nights crafting a cover letter, a brilliant first impression at the interview, and my godfather working there. On my first day, I had to introduce myself to the employees, but after the perfunctory, my name is Simon, I go to Yale, I was floundering. I didn't do anything substantial on campus other than play on the club rugby team. I had tried out for a staggering 27 other groups in my first two weeks of college, but had been rejected by each one consistently in the first round if there were multiple. The rugby team accepted anyone, which was a welcome surprise for me, but for a sport that requires you to tackle human dairy queens, they might want to rethink that rule. I figured I could get away with a white lie, so I said, and I write for the record, Yale's humor publication. Right was a stretch. I had written one article titled Hideous International Student Starting to Doubt Whether Girls Actually Do Dig the Accent Behind the Smokescreen of Satire. But I couldn't bring myself to say I had signed up for yet never received anything from the mailing list of the British students at Yale. After the meeting, an assistant, Alicia, came up to me and said she was a stand-up comic. Assuming I was into comedy given my stellar resume, she asked if I wanted to go with her to a show she was performing at in a week. I said sure. A day before, she asked if I was excited for the show. I nodded my head. She asked if I had my set ready. My eyes popped. 
like I was a novelty act on America's Got Talent. I had thought I was just going to watch her. I should have explained my confusion, but instead I say you bet and spent the next 24 hours combing my notes folder for any sliver of what could resemble a joke. I went up on stage the next day at 5pm at the stand. I bombed to the point that the most popular bathtub accessory now is just a loop of my Trump impression. And then I paid the club $5 for the opportunity. It was sadistically thrilling. That fall, I shockingly successfully auditioned for one of Yale's stand-up groups. Over the next two and a half years, I began to perform more, first in New York and then around the country. After initially thinking that talking about myself on stage was far too selfish an exercise, I realized that talking on stage was already the most selfish thing any person could do, besides not sharing your password for those masterclass videos. I abandoned my hacky one-liners and started to tell stories. Today, comedy clubs host my dinner party test. Strangers listen to me, And if they laugh, then I know I'm doing okay. If I bomb, that's on them. I now have to think more carefully and introspectively about both my stories and the protagonist within, which means that, bit by bit, that odd-looking banana is getting unpeeled. I could tell you what it looks like inside, but I'd much rather tell you about the time I ended up in the backseat of a Tokyo taxi, unconscious and under arrest, after the head of the Yakuza asked to go drinking with me and two friends. I think you know what I said. Oh, what did you think of that story, Fraserheads? Uh, a few things about that. Number one, uh, just want to clarify, it wasn't the head of the Yakuza I learned. It was, it was a Yakuza, it was the Yakuza boss in Shinjuku, which is a neighborhood in Tokyo. So I guess that's a bit less exciting but still exciting, because a good story has to stick to the truth. Uh, but I think I wrote this in a hurry. Secondly, I thought that was okay. I thought that was a good reveal into how I see the world. Hadn't really read that in a while, uh, but I like it. I think I could definitely be more vulnerable in this piece. Uh, but this piece is also kind of about not being vulnerable at all, like letting stories hide your honesty. But at the same time, it is about vulnerability. Who's to say? Um, I like stories for many ways, and sure is the magic word. Yes is too keen. Uh, that is, yeah, that's that's today's episode. Hope you enjoyed this story. Phrase, phrase! <laughs>